You're listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I am a wife, a mother of four, and the creator of the blog, Winging It on the Homestead, where I help modern mothers incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. My goal is to help you refocus your life towards what really matters, your family, as well as boost your confidence so you can start being more self-reliant and decrease your dependence on stores and commercial products. Join me as I share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through cooking, food preservation, cooking from scratch, and making your own products, all while keeping it practical, intentional, and realistic. All right, guys, welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I am here today with Chris from Healthy Mama Chris, who is a professional chef, and I'm so excited to have her on today to talk with us all about cooking, cooking from scratch, cooking skills, all of that fun stuff. So thank you so much for joining me, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I love to talk cooking, so I'm excited (laughs) to chat with you. Yeah, I am excited. I have not had any kind of like I'm by no means a professional chef, but I mean, I am self-taught, which means I do everything wrong probably. So, uh, (laughs) so I'm so excited that you're here to tell us all about um, how to get started cooking. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. But first, I don't think there's anything, there's, there's no wrong in the kitchen. Okay. I think if your food tastes delicious, sometimes we can improve our knife skills. I know we'll talk about skills in a yeah. little bit, but I don't think there's anything, if you can make delicious food to feed your family, I think you're doing it right. So, okay. Well, awesome. <laughs> yes. Thanks for the encouragement. But for anyone who doesn't know me, I am Chris Dovniak. <laughs> you asked me, asked me to tell you about myself. I did, like, yes. Let's please talk do. about you first. <laughs> um, so I'm Chris Dovniak. I am a trained chef. Like you said, I'm a professionally trained chef. Um, I'm also a certified holistic health coach, uh, and I'm a mom of two. I am the founder of Healthy Mama Chris, where I've been helping moms take the stress out of getting dinner on the table since 2014. <laughs> when my daughter was about six months old, I started this business, um, and really, I like to help moms with flexibility meal planning, simplified meal prep, and deliciously doable, healthy, family-friendly recipes, because I think that cooking doesn't have to be hard. That is awesome. And I think so needed for people um, that want to get started cooking, but don't want to spend all the time in the kitchen, but want to have delicious meals. So thank you for uh, that. And I'm just really excited to have you. I keep saying that, but it's true. I'm really excited to have you today. Um, So uh, you have a really beautiful food blog. I mean, I don't even know the pictures and the recipes are just beautiful and sound amazing. And I really want to get started on trying some of them because I'm really burnt out on what Mm -hmm. I cook. So I'm going to be diving in more on that. But can you tell me a little bit about how you got into cooking uh, and what are some of your favorite meals to cook for your family? Yeah, I love this question. So my background is actually both in nutrition and the culinary world. So I studied nutrition in college and I actually got started cooking because my mom actually wasn't a huge cook growing up. And when I was in high school, I was a rebellious teenager and I decided I wanted to be vegetarian. And my parents were really supportive. They were like, cool, you can be a vegetarian, but we don't know how to cook for you. So um, I learned how to cook for myself. So I started cooking for myself. My dad's actually a really fantastic cook. He worked at an Italian restaurant as a part-time job when I was a, a young child. And so he would cook for us every now and again. But other than that, my mom cooked really, really simple meals. And I kind of fell in love with food and cooking from that high school point where I decided that I wanted to be a vegetarian, which was kind of 
really kind of the best thing I could have done because it meant exploring a lot of different cuisines. So I started exploring Asian cuisines that I had never had before growing up in New England, um, you know, Indian food and Thai food and Japanese food. And so I learned about a lot of different types of food and a lot of different cuisines and just sort of fell in love. But I also had a passion for nutrition. So I went to school for nutrition. And while I was in nutrition school, there was a part of me, I initially started to go for dietetics. And there was a part of me that knew that I didn't just want to sit and work with patients. I want, I really wanted to teach people how to eat healthy through food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after college, I ended up meeting my now husband during college, and he just so happens to be Canadian. Um, and I'm American. We went to school in the U.S. And so I decided to just drop everything and move up to Canada to be with him. And so I enrolled in culinary school because you need a reason to just move mm-hmm. to Canada. Right. <laughs> we, we weren't married at that point. But we did quickly get married afterwards. Um, And so I, I went to culinary school and I started learning about the world of food and just continued to fall more in love with food. And um, I actually started my first food blog when I was in nutrition school and it was just kind of sharing my meals with people. And then that evolved into a natural foods blog when I was in culinary school. And then I was working as a personal chef in Toronto, which is a big city in Ontario, actually the biggest city in Ontario. And so I was working as a personal chef, focusing on natural foods. I worked a lot with people who had special dietary concerns because I had that background in nutrition so I could help people who were gluten-free or dairy-free or, and I kind of understood if they're like, Hey, my doctor told me I can't eat this and I can't eat this. So, uh, I did that for a long time. I did that for several years and then I became a mom. And when you become a mom, as you know, everything kind of changes a little bit. Everything got a little bit more difficult. Getting meals on the table got a little bit more difficult. And my, my business that I had evolved into the online business that I have now really sharing with people these meals that aren't just delicious, they aren't just healthy, but are also realistic because that was kind of the point where I was in my life was going, okay, I now have this newborn baby on my hip. How am I going to cook these delicious meals? So that's sort of where kind of my, where I got started and kind of where my path went. And, and now, like I shared at the beginning, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now. But, you know, I, I love to develop recipes. That's my favorite part of my, well, I shouldn't say. I love teaching cooking too, but I also love developing recipes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the recipes I develop really come from recipes that my family loves that I've made for my family. And then we tweak them so that, you know, there's an actual recipe to give to people. I love experimenting in the kitchen. Um, My favorite recipes to cook are really the foods that my family loves. So much like you, we like to eat a lot of seasonal foods. So I love to develop recipes around the seasons with what is fresh and in season. Um, one of my favorite meals to make, and I actually created a whole ebook on this last year, um, are bowls. And so this is a crowd pleaser for most families because the kids can pick and choose what toppings they want to put on. So I start with some sort of a base of some sort of a grain, maybe it's rice, maybe it's quinoa, maybe it's farro. And then we will cook up some sort of a protein, whatever, whatever style we might want to, it might be chickpeas or it might be a Greek marinated chicken. And then we add in toppings depending on whatever is vegetables that might be in season, sometimes cooked, sometimes raw. I love sauces. So we'll put on a sauce 
And all of that sounds kind of complicated, but it, it comes together. Those, those meals come together so, so quickly. And those are probably our favorite because the kids get to pick and choose what they yeah. put on. You can add a ton of flavor with very little effort other than I pop some quinoa in the rice cooker. I cook up some protein, some sort of vegetable, and we're kind of good to go. So those are, those are oftentimes my favorite meals. Um, we also really love tacos in our house, but we love yeah. kind of a twist on tacos. We love fish tacos. That's probably our yeah. favorite these days. My kids go crazy. I live in New England, so we have access to really good <laughs> fresh fish, which I know not everyone does, um, but shrimp tacos are delicious too. And you can get yeah. shrimp pretty much anywhere. Frozen shrimp is great. Um, so I think those are, those are kind of my favorites, but I, I love cooking from I love cooking all different types of cuisines. I'm really big on trying to include different cuisines in our family's meals, just so that my kids get exposed to different, you know, we'll do pad thai. We will, um, there, yeah, going back to the Thai food, Mm-hmm. My husband's half Japanese, so we like to in- in- incorporate some Asian style flavors here and there, but they're always, they're always going to be doable recipes because I don't spend an hour in the kitchen yeah. on a Wednesday <laughs> night. I just, I don't have time for it. So yeah. I think some of, I think some of those are my favorites. I love that. And I love the idea about the bowls. I'm going to definitely check out your, your um, ebook you said, because yeah. that's one of the struggles I have with the kids is making everyone happy. Yes. And you don't want to indulge a picky eater necessarily, but you also want them to eat. So being able to have stuff that you can give them the options to choose, um, but still be within the realm of what you've cooked is really, really good idea. So that's yes. like brilliant actually. So I'm going to be checking that out. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so for someone that has no experience in the kitchen, what are some of the like most important food skills you would teach them? Mm, oh, I love this question because part of um, part of what I've been doing for a really long time is teaching cooking classes. Mm-hmm. And I used to teach cooking classes in person. And then I switched to online cooking classes in the pandemic because I'm so passionate about helping people just have that confidence in the kitchen, because I think that's a big barrier for a lot of moms. Maybe they grew up like me where my mom wasn't a huge cook and she really didn't pass any skills on to me because she didn't have any. And now my mom's a great cook. She's a way better cook now than she was when I was a kid. So my mom's listening to this mom, I love you. You're a great cook now. Um, but (laughs) she does listen to, she listens to my podcast. She might listen to this too. Um, but she really didn't have any skills to pass on to me. We've talked about this too. And so I don't think that you need to have this overabundance of skills or, you know, specialized skills or go to culinary school to be a good cook. It's about gaining that confidence in the kitchen. And I think the first thing that is really, really helpful is just knowing basic knife skills. This can be really intimidating for a lot of people because knives are scary. We, you know, we've been told to stay away from them our whole life. So then when somebody puts a big knife in your hand, or in some people's cases, they won't even touch a big chef's knife and they're trying to cook like, or cut a butternut squash with a paring knife, which is way more dangerous than cutting it with a chef's knife. Um, they get nervous. And so learning those basic knife skills, learning how to hold a knife properly. Um, it's probably different than you think. And it does feel a little bit awkward at first, but learning how to be able to hold a knife so that you're in control of the knife. You don't feel like the knife is in control of you. Mm -hmm. That will help all of your cooking feel easier because it's going to be faster to cut something. Um, and you're going to be less likely to actually cut yourself when you're chopping. It's going to encourage you to eat things like vegetables that you might've been intimidated to cut. I actually have a series on Instagram. I've been doing these little like 30 second reels where I teach people how to cut different vegetables. We're going to get into fruit soon because people will be like, okay, so how do you actually cut a head of broccoli? Or because I mean, 
a head of broccoli is probably one of the easier things to cut, but how do you actually cut a butternut squash? How do you? Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So, because it it doesn't have to be hard. It's just about learning how to do it. So learning how to hold a knife properly, I think is number one. Um, So it's going to be hard for me to describe because I am obviously just audio right now. Mm -hmm. But if you can imagine when you're holding the knife, there's a handle on the end of the knife, right? It's not actually where you want to hold it. You actually want to put your thumb on the side of the back of the blade right next to the handle. And you want to put your um, index finger on the other side, kind of wrapped around. And so you're actually, it's called choking the knife. So you're holding the knife closer to the blade. Your fingers aren't anywhere near the bottom of the blade, but you're holding Mm -hmm. the blade so that you have more control over your knife. And I found that makes so much of a difference in feeling tired and worn out when you're chopping vegetables, especially if you're, you know, chopping potatoes or winter squash or something like that. That's a little bit hardy and harder to cut. Um, so I think learning those basic knife skills, learning how to cut an onion. So you're not weeping over the onion every single time. Um, it seems simple, but if you've never learned, even just going on YouTube and looking up, how do I actually, how do I chop? How do I dice? How do I mince? That can, that can really increase your confidence. And, um, I think that's probably number one. And the other thing that I want to mention is if you have no experience in the kitchen and you are brand new and you're learning or you want to learn, or maybe you don't want to learn, but you know, you need to learn how to cook, use recipes. I know that seems so silly, but I think sometimes we think, okay, I want to learn how to cook. So I just need to get into the kitchen and take all of these ingredients in front of me and make something. And that is the hardest way to cook. So learn how to read recipes correctly and use recipes and gain the kitchen confidence that way. So a good recipe will be one that tells you exactly how to prepare each one of the ingredients in the ingredient list, Mm -hmm. and then takes you through step-by-step with the items that take the longest first. And, and then you kind of fill in whatever other tasks you need to do in between. So when you read a recipe, just to share that, Mm -hmm. you want to make sure you're reading through the ingredient list first, because the ingredients are going to tell you what you need to do before the directions start. The directions aren't going to tell you to chop the onion. The directions Mm -hmm. are going to tell you to use the chopped onion. So the ingredient list will give you clues for what you have to do first. This is called your mise en place. It's a French term that roughly translates to everything in its place. And it is the chef secret to how when you go to a restaurant and you order the steak and potatoes and it comes to your table in 10 minutes. Now a steak doesn't take that long to cook, but mashed potatoes take quite some time. Well, they've done their mise en place. So they've already peeled and chopped those potatoes. They've already par cooked them. So they're ready to go when you order that meal. Green beans, they probably had those par cooked and then they just quickly sauteed them in some butter and seasonings and then they're on the table. So you're basically doing that You want to do that every time you're in the kitchen. So you follow that ingredient list. What does it tell you to do? Chop the onion, chop the carrots, chop the celery, get all that done first and then start and then read through all of the directions. So read through all of the ingredients. You know what you're doing first. read through all of the directions. You know where you're going. This is your roadmap, right? Um, It's, it's just like when you're going to go on a road trip and you look at kind of the bird's eye view on Google maps and go, okay, what direction am I going in? So you have kind of a general idea of where you're going. It's important and it'll make Mm -hmm. the cooking easier rather than what I see a lot of people do in the kitchen is they go, they just read the directions first. And it's like, add the onion to, or, you know, maybe add the oil and then add the onion and you go to the ingredients and you're like, ah, okay, I got to chop an onion. 
and they chop the onion and then they put the onion in and then they're like, okay, add the celery and the carrots. Okay. Now I've got to chop the celery and chop the carrots. And they do that. And by the time they're done with that, the onion's burning and mm. then they add them. Right. So really knowing what to do with the ingredients and then following the directions, these things, you know, the knife skills, learning how to read a recipe, they seem so simple, but when you can do that, it's going to make the experience in the kitchen that much easier. Mm. And that is what's going to make you a better cook is cooking. It's actually being in the kitchen and cooking more. And, and so I think those are, those are my, the, my top two, I could go into more about (laughs) flavor foundations and all of that, but I think it's the simple advice when it, when it comes to just starting out, learn those basic knife skills, learn to read recipes and don't be afraid to use them. That's, what's going to help you become a better cook. Yeah. That's amazing. And I, that's so helpful. I think that just simplifies things, but also like just clarifies things because I don't know, I never learned any of that. And like we talked before, like my mom cooked, but I didn't learn any, you know, she didn't teach me and I didn't know. So it was a lot of um, baptism by fire (laughs) and a lot of burnt unedible meals. So I really wish I had listened to you before because it was saving me a lot of of time and effort. So I think that this is so helpful for a beginner. to, to just even know how to read a recipe okay. and the knife skills. Yeah. That's, it sounds easy too. Like it, like it should just be intuitive to just pick up a knife, but I guess that's where, yeah, that's not so it's a much. simple skill to learn, but an important yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay. So for moms that don't, that want to start cooking from scratch or just cook more, but don't want to spend all their time in the kitchen. How would you say, tell them to get started? Like what, like where should they focus their energy? Mm. So there's a couple, there's a couple different areas we could kind of focus on Mm -hmm. with this. And this is something I love. I love to teach on meal planning, but meal planning in a way that kind of works for you. And one of the meals that I recommend, and I already mentioned bowls, and this is, Mm -hmm. this falls into this category too, are what I like to call base meals. And this again also helps because I do work with moms with, eaters who might be a little bit more selective. Now that might be your kids. It might be your husband. It might be whoever's in your family, right? Eating food, whoever's sitting down around the table with you. We're going to have people who have different food preferences. So what I like to recommend is meals that all have the same base. So this could be a bowl with rice or quinoa or something like that. This could be pasta. It, your base could be a tortilla. It could be tacos or, or a tostada, something like that. Or it could be maybe your meat is the base, right? If you eat meat or if you don't, it could be a vegetarian protein whatever you choose the one base, right? And you're going to work around there and you can add, if it's pasta, right? You could have a couple different sauce options or topping options for the pasta. Again, we're not complicating things. We're not, we're not making two separate dinners because I've been a short order cook and it's not fun. (laughs) So you don't need to be a short order cook. I don't want you to be making, I'm talking to the woman listening. (laughs) Don't want you to be making three different meals for your family. And I know some of you are. And I know it can be stressful because you just want your kids to eat. And so what I recommend is once you have those basic skills, you can cook a, you know, you can cook a pot of rice or you can cook a pot of pasta, or you can throw some 
pork in the crock pot and make pulled pork, whatever it might be, when you have some of those basic skills, you can pull together these base meals where everyone in the family is eating the same base, whatever that might be. And then they can add on their different toppings, whether that is a bowl or different sauces for the pasta. Maybe you have some meat eaters in your family. And so you make a bolognese sauce for them. And then maybe you have some kiddos who don't like the meat. And so you just give them the plain tomato sauce, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I recommend starting with your meals. What do you know your family already enjoys, especially if you're trying to incorporate new flavors too. I know a lot of moms get frustrated when they spend a lot of time and energy making a, a mixed meal, like a casserole or a stew or something like that. And they present it to their family and everyone in their family, except maybe them and their spouse are like, ew, <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. want to eat it. Yeah. So in this way, this is a great way to really allow for different food preferences, but without spending a lot of extra time. So I'm not talking about you're going to make, if let's use the pasta, for example, you're going to make a marinara sauce and you're going to make a pesto and you're going to make an Alfredo sauce. I'm talking about variations in Mm -hmm. that. Um, So you're not spending a ton of extra time, but you're kind of satisfying several people in the family. Um, I just, I don't want anyone to be frustrated by the idea of cooking. So the other thing that I recommend is when it comes to not spending extra time in the kitchen, but wanting to cook more is doing a little bit of of one of two things. So doing a little bit of prep ahead. But when I say that, a lot of people go, no, 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 I don't have time for that. Right. (laughs) And I am someone who is a huge advocate for meal prep, but not in the way that you might think. So there's a couple ways that we can do some prep ahead. So one way of doing a little bit of prep ahead is by doing some prep at the beginning of the week. If you're a very busy family, if you are a sports family and you have a lot of different activities, I have no idea how my husband's family put meals on the table for I should really ask my mother-in-law for him and his, his sister, he did like four sports just himself and several at any given time. She did a couple. I don't know how they ever ate food, but (laughs) you're a sports family who has a lot of different activities. If you're busy in any way, like most of us are, especially now that we're coming into a phase after the last couple of years, a lot of us were at home. And now I feel like we're, we're out doing activities, especially Mm -hmm. as it gets warmer, we're outside more it becomes difficult to get those meals on the table and it's easier to just go through the drive-through or to pick up another frozen pizza. And all of those things are fine and good. And they're a part of our life for sure, but we want to eat from scratch as much as we can, right? We want to try and eat from home. That's the best way that we can eat just a little bit healthier is by cooking at home. So I like recommending doing just a little bit of prep ahead. So that might be, if you're a really busy family, like I said, uh, a little bit of prep on a Sunday or a Monday, where you just prep some ingredients. And by this, I mean, you're just chopping the carrot, celery, and onion for the soup ahead of time so that when you do come home from whatever sports practice it is, and it's six o'clock and you want your kids to go to bed at 7.30 and you still need to do baths because they're stinky, you wanna be able to get that soup done really quickly. Maybe you're gonna utilize something like the Instant Pot to make that a little bit faster. Whatever it might be, having that ready to go is going to make things happen faster. So the two things that are going to make things happen faster in your kitchen, if you want to cook from scratch more, are prepping proteins ahead or using shortcut proteins. So for that, I mean, shortcut proteins could be you cook a pot of beans ahead of time, and then you have those. And if you cook a big pot of beans, you can freeze some, and then you can use those frozen beans directly from frozen in a dish. Mm -hmm. If you're going to cook soup, or you could even buy, you can cook a whole chicken at the beginning of the week and use that in chicken soup, or you can buy a rotisserie chicken and you could put that in your soup too. So shortcut proteins or 
pre-cooked proteins or chopped vegetables. Cause those are the things that tend to take us the longest and will shorten your meals the most. So you can do this at the beginning of the week. I call this ingredient prep. Um, there's different ways that you can meal prep, but this is the primary way I find works for a lot of busy moms is just prepping some ingredients. You can do this in under an hour at the beginning of the week, or you're prepping twice for multiple, or you're prepping once and using ingredients twice. So mm-hmm. like I said, you cook the whole chicken one night when you have a little bit more time and then you, you use the leftover chicken. So the way I would do it, if I cook a whole chicken, if I'm going to spend the effort to either put that chicken in the slow cooker or spend an hour and a half cooking it in the oven, well, then I want to use that chicken in several different ways. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead, take the rest of the meat off of the chicken, whatever my family doesn't eat that first night. Usually the first night we'll serve it up with some roasted vegetables or a salad, depending on the season. And uh, then the next night we, I will, I'll strip all of their extra meat off. I will put the bones in the slow cooker and make broth overnight. Mm. And then the next day we'll have chicken soup. And then you have, and you have, well, you have kind of two and a half meals there too, because you have the chicken the first night, you have the chicken, the second, the chicken soup, the second night, and then you have broth because you have way more than you're going to need for just one meal. You'll be able to make, another soup later on. So it's really about working smarter, not harder, uh, because you don't need to, you don't need to cook every single night of the week. And that is coming from someone who has a culinary degree and teaches cooking classes. You do not need to cook every night of the week, or you don't need to cook a lot every night of, of the week. You can get things done really fast. So a little bit of prep ahead, whether it's prepping one thing for multiple meals um, or, or focusing on base meals where um, you're cooking simple meals, but you're satisfying everyone in the family, their taste buds and their preferences. I love that. That's so helpful. And I think that I like, like we were talking about like the bowls and being able to satisfy everyone's preferences because there's a lot of opinions. (laughs) Especially Um, when you have little, little ones. Yeah. That's the hardest. (laughs) And I know from experience when you cook a meal, you're excited about something new and then no one wants to eat it. That's pretty deflating. So discouraging. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So in order to prep, and I love that because I think that that does really help is prepping ingredients, but you kind of have to have some kind of plan or meal plan or some kind of idea of what you're, where you're going for the whole week. Right. So what does your meal planning process look like? Mm, Okay. I love to talk about meal planning because (laughs) meal planning is kind of at the root of simplifying meals and then also saving money on your food. And those Mm -hmm. are two things I'm a huge advocate about. Cooking doesn't have to be hard. Eating healthy doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be crazy expensive either. So my meal planning process involves a few, a few steps, but they're simple ones. I promise. (laughs) So the first step I recommend everyone take when they're meal planning. And I, this is the step that I see so many people skip. And this is like the step you can't skip when you're meal planning. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to just grab a piece of paper and go on Pinterest and write down seven meals that you want to eat for the week. I Mm -hmm. want you to take your calendar out first, wherever you have your calendar for us. We, we use a shared Google calendar so I can see what everyone in the family is doing this time of the year, my husband's a professional sailor. So he's gone half the week. So it's just me and the girls for dinner time. And he gets big, Mm -hmm. fancy dinners. Um, (laughs) but depending on the season, the winter time, it's all four of us or more Mm -hmm. if we have friends over. So there's activities certain nights of the week. So looking at your calendar, your schedule for that week is huge because Mm -hmm. you want to know looking ahead at the week, what meals you need a little bit more help with or what meals are, you know, are going to, you're going to need something a little bit easier. So either meals you might want to prep ahead for meals that might, you might want something easier. 
four meals where you're like, you know what, it's just not going to happen that night. And that is the night we're going to use a really shortcut option, whether it mm-hmm. is calling for a pizza or grabbing takeout because life happens and it's okay if we do that sometimes. Yeah. So looking at your calendar and going, okay, how can you think ahead to the nights that you might have activities and you might need something quick and easy. Maybe you utilize the slow cooker those nights um, for a soup or a stew or a chili or depending on the season. Um, I mean, I would eat chili in the middle of the summer, but it's, it's everyone's like a little bit different <laughs> or something quick and easy, like that shortcut, the rotisserie chicken yeah. and a salad full of fresh seasonal ingredients. Like I know mm-hmm. that you have a big, beautiful yeah. garden, right? So something really simple like that, you can make a homemade dressing and then it feels special. It, you know, everyone, that's another base meal. The salad's a great base meal where everyone can put their own toppings on. Mm-hmm. And so you're not forcing them to eat carrots if they don't want to you know, not speaking from experience or anything. Um, but yeah, so looking at your calendar first is going to be number one. What is your week look like? What nights do you need a little bit more support and how can you give yourself that support by doing a little prep ahead, choosing a slow cooker or an instant pot meal or something that has a shortcut so that you can get those meals on the table. So that's number one. Number two. And so I kind of just marked down. So I have a meal planner that I use. I, Full disclosure, I literally created this meal planner. Um, I, I, I share it every single year um, and where I just write down each day of the week and I just mark, hey, Monday nights, I know that we have gymnastics, so we don't get home until 630. So we want, you know, we want an easy yeah. meal. I just mark it down on my meal planner, but you can even put this on your calendar wherever you want to put it down. You don't need yeah. a meal planner to do this. And then I go ahead and this is a really important step, especially if you want to eat well on a budget. This is my number one tip other than meal planning. Meal planning is number one, and this is number two, and it is using what you have before you buy new. Mm -hmm. So it's going ahead. If, you know, if there's someone like you, Stephanie, and you preserve and you freeze and which is a form of preserving, I now know, um, but you probably have a lot on hand that you can use, right? But going Mm -hmm. in and going for us very, it's oftentimes the, it's the fridge first. What is left over in the fridge that we can still use. Oftentimes this is bits and pieces of produce, things like that, that Mm -hmm. we want to use for the next week. What do we have in our fridge? What do we have in our freezer that we could use or want to use? And what do we have in our pantry that we could use and want to use? This doesn't need to be a whole inventory every week. When I tell people this, it can sound kind of intimidating Mm because you're like, I can't inventory my whole, my pantry is, you know, huge or whatever it might be. I have a small pantry. I can do a quick inventory. I don't, you don't need to inventory every week. It's just going, what's in my fridge that needs to be used up? What is in the freezer that could serve as a shortcut meal? Or I like to buy uh, meat in bulk. We'll get a meat delivery every couple of weeks, uh, every couple of weeks, every couple of months, not every couple of weeks. We don't eat that much meat, but every couple of months. And so we'll get that. And so I'll look and what, what do I have there that I could use for meals? So just taking a quick look, okay. At your, at your fridge first, your freezer, your pantry, what do you have that you can use? And from there, you'll likely have a little bit of inspiration. You can brainstorm Mm -hmm. a couple ideas for meals. Um, and so that's typically what I do. Look at my calendar, look at what I have on hand, brainstorm some meals. And then I turn to my family favorites list and my recipes to try list. So these are two lists that I recommend every everyone create and typically about once a season. You can do it once a year if you want to and just kind of put everyone you think of on that list. Um, But I typically recommend once a season, you write down the meals that you know that your family already enjoys. And it's okay if you only have three meals, if you just have spaghetti and meatballs and chili and tacos, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. 
write down the meals you know that your family already enjoys. And these are meals that you can, you could switch up things like sides and things like that season to season, Mm -hmm. but meals that your family, you know, they enjoy crowd pleasing meals and then have a list of recipes that you want to try. So things that you might have, you might have a Pinterest board. I know a lot of moms like Pinterest. I like Pinterest, Mm -hmm. Um, but you have the Pinterest board and you have the recipes you want to try, maybe recipes you've saved from Instagram or cookbooks, whatever it might be. So compile all of those to one list rather than the intimidating idea of starting your meal plan with Pinterest, Google, Instagram, and every cookbook you own all around Mm -hmm. you. That's what makes meal planning feel so overwhelming for most people is the idea of I have every recipe in the world that I could, you know, I I could use every recipe in the world. What am I going to make? So having that list of recipes that, you know, and I say recipes and I use recipes, but I mean meals, they don't have to have a recipe. It can be super simple, but meals that, you know, your family enjoys recipes that you want to try and use those. That's what I use to meal plan every week is, and I start with one to two. It could be more than this as well, if you want to, but one to two recipes, I know my family loves for us. Oftentimes this is tacos of some sort. Like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. my family loves tacos and surprise, surprise, some sort of a bowl. Usually every week, those, those are two kind of staples on our meal plan week to week. And then we fill in with other recipes that we might want to try. Um, Sometimes it's more family favorites. Sometimes it's more new recipes, but it depends on my week and what I have time to cook. And that's why it's important Mm -hmm. to look at your calendar first. So you're not going, okay, I I created this whole meal plan and now I have no time to make these meals. And you end up with all this food waste at the end of the week and you're frustrated and you're like, well, why do I even meal plan if I don't even cook these meals? So you're, you're planning ahead to cook meals that are realistic for your family. And this does mean when you put recipes to try on your list, and I should mention, I normally mention this when I talk about the family favorites list, these are not the, the meals that you are the recipes that you make just on like, Christmas and New Year's or whatever, like your special family parties are, those might be favorites, but Mm -hmm. these are realistic weeknight recipes. So when you're writing down recipes to try, keep that in mind too. If you don't have an hour to cook any night of the week, then don't put down recipes that are going to take an hour unless it's something that could go in the slow cooker. Or yeah. the pot. Um, so be really realistic about the recipes that you're choosing. Um, and my last tip is, and what I use myself is to just plan for five days. I know there's seven days in the week, Mm -hmm. but things happen. Life happens. There are nights where we're like, okay, I just, I'm not cooking what's on the meal plan. And we're just going to have breakfast for dinner (laughs) or we're going to call for the pizza or wow. We had way, we made way more food on Monday and Tuesday than I thought we were going to. We have enough for a whole other meal on Wednesday. You can utilize leftovers that day and have leftovers. I know not everyone loves leftovers. You don't have to do a leftovers night but it is a great way to save money. And Mm -hmm. chances are there's somebody in your family who's going to want one of those leftovers. And so we'll do like, we call it smorgasbord night where we'll go, okay, we have like two servings of this and two servings of this and a serving of this. And we put it on the table and we go, okay, what do you want? And we just heat it up. And sometimes we'll do a full leftover. So like chili, for instance, if we make chili, we can do it another night over. I love doing it over baked sweet potatoes. 
feels like a totally different meal, but you're using the leftovers and it might not be enough chili for all four of us to have a full bowl, but then you add it on top of the baked sweet potato. Um, and you put whatever you want on top, a little sour cream. My older daughter likes Parmesan on top of it. I don't know. It's whatever you, it's whatever you, it is actually really tasty, but it's whatever you like on top of there. And then it feels like a totally different meal. So, um, you don't always have to make a completely different meal. Again, you don't have to cook every single night. You could just be using some of those leftovers. So, so basic process, look at my calendar, look at what I have on hand, do a little brainstorm. Then I use my family favorites and recipes to try list, which I've already created. So they're super easy. You don't Mm -hmm. need to use the entire internet and every cookbook in the world to create your meal plan. Um, And you can do this seasonally again. So you're focusing on those seasonal ingredients Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then just plan for five days. So you have that flexibility those couple of days for leftovers for that date night with your husband or for when life just happens or your friends invite you over and you're like, Oh, well, I don't feel like I'm constrained by my meal plan. I can just just do that. Well, I have to say like, that is so helpful and realistic. Like I have tried a meal plan and still I I rebel, I guess, or something. (laughs) I don't know. So like if if it's too, if anything's too strict or stringent for me, I rebel. So trying to do even seven days, like five days sounds much more doable. Yes. And also, like you said, having a list of things that you already know, like tried and true recipes that you can make with like kids running around at your feet really? is really <laughs> helpful too, because yeah, I think that's great. And for me, one of the issues that we have is that I just can't ever think of things to make. Like if mm-hmm. I sat down and was like, all right, guys, what do you want to have this week for dinner to make a meal plan? I hit sometimes periods where I just can't think of anything and yeah. I'm very uninspired. So having that list be like, okay, pork and chicken and ground beef, you know, or trying to have some kind of variety, having it already almost like a database of, of sorts of uh, yes, recipes exactly. is really, would be really helpful. I'm going to work on that. That's yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> and having a place to store your recipes can be really helpful yeah. too. Obviously we have cookbooks. If you have cookbooks, you like every time I talk about cookbooks, I look over here because all of my cookbooks are on the <laughs> yeah. shelf over here. They can't see my face. Um, yeah. But having, you know, cookbooks are great. And that's why I do put recipes from cookbooks. If I'm feeling uninspired and I want to, if I'm not in like a phase of recipe development and yeah. I'm like, okay, I want to, I'll pull out my cookbooks and I will write on my recipes to try list. This is from this page in this cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not going through those every time. But it is helpful to have a place to store your recipes too. So if you are feeling uninspired, so I used to have a recipe binder, which I also have up here. Mm -hmm. Um, I still have it. Um, So some people like the paper version and I have Mm -hmm. a recipe binder where I printed out recipes from online that I enjoy. Uh, But then I also, what I've done now is now I just save them as PDFs and I have a Google Drive folder and I have it divided up into different types of meals. So I have chicken recipes. I have beef recipes. I have, I have soups and stews as one category, just because for me, it doesn't really matter what the base is. It's a soup or a stew. So I have Mm -hmm. them categorized into different categories. So then I can just click and go, okay, we've got a ton of chicken. We actually do have a ton of chicken in our freezer. (laughs) No, I don't know how it happened. So we've got a ton of chicken in our freezer. What are some chicken recipes that might, you know, bring some inspiration. And that's the same way that I have my recipe binder categorized too. I've just kind of gone digital in the last year. So mm-hmm. it's whatever way you want to do it, but I have it categorized by usually protein or meal style. So mm-hmm. that's another little tip that can be helpful when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by all the options, have something yeah. to, and have a place to store it. So it doesn't feel overwhelming then to gather them when it comes to actually cooking. No, oh, that's so smart. 
All right, I'm going to do that for sure. Okay, so where do you think that confidence in cooking comes from? And like for someone like me that I do cook, but I cook a lot and I'm definitely stuck in my comfort zone. So mm-hmm. how would you boost their confidence and become like more intuitive in cooking? Mm, oh, I love this question. So I kind of mentioned part of this before and mm-hmm. confidence in cooking does start with cooking. So you have to get into the kitchen yeah. and you have to cook. And if you are already cooking and you feel like you're just in your comfort zone and you're just making the same things over and over again, it can be fun to challenge yourself just to try one new recipe a week. So again, you want it to be realistic. You don't want to choose something that's going to take two hours and you don't have that sort of time, or it could be something you plan on maybe a Saturday or a Sunday when you might have a little bit more time, you can put a movie on for the kids and it can be kind of special for them. And then you can play around in the kitchen and make it fun. If you're someone who doesn't like being in the kitchen, I have taught plenty of people in private classes who are like, you're here because I hate cooking. Make me like cooking. And I'm like, I can't make you like (laughs) cooking, but I can help the experience be a little bit better, a little bit more relaxed. So Mm -hmm. for me, I love to cook when I do my, I do a little bit of meal prep on Sundays, not surprisingly, and I'll put on a podcast. So I'll save one of my favorite podcasts to Mm -hmm. listen to when I'm doing my meal prep. And then that's when I'll cook something that might take a little bit longer, like a whole chicken or something Mm -hmm. like that. So make it fun, put on your favorite music, get a fancy coffee. Or I, I recommend the same thing with uh, with meal planning too. I'm like, make it fun. If it seems intimidating for you, make it fun when you are going to go in the kitchen and you are going to cook. If you're like, I don't really like cooking now. If it just, if you do like to cook or you, and you do cook often, but you're just feeling like you're in a little bit of a rut, give yourself that one new recipe a week, something that's realistic, but something that's new and a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Oftentimes this is something from a different cuisine that you're not used to cooking. So if you typically cook more, say Italian style cuisine, or maybe Northern Italian style cuisine. So a lot more of those like red sauces and lasagnas and those type of dishes, maybe try more of a Mediterranean style dish. You can still use the same pasta you use, but maybe Mm -hmm. you're using some different flavors. If you really love, I mentioned pad thai earlier. If you really love Thai food, pad thai is actually pretty easy to make at home. So why not try your hand at pad thai? So really trying out different cuisines or different techniques as well. So if something like if you've always ever baked, let's say fish or even chicken, for example, if you've always ever baked it and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I could, I'm going to ruin it. If I cook it another way, find a great recipe online and try to pan sear it instead. Once you pan sear one thing, you can pan sear pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. And so just gaining some of that confidence comes from learning those skills, just little skills, and then experimenting with different cuisines. And I think sometimes you have to prove to yourself that you can do it and it might not always come out perfect, right? But you'll learn something along the way. And the other thing that's really helpful too um, is learning the foundations of flavor. So the more you learn the foundations of flavor, this can help you to just be a little bit more intuitive in your cooking. So the three flavor foundations are taste, texture, and temperature. So our taste buds crave contrast and variety. They don't want everything to taste the same. They don't want everything to feel the same. So when you add just a little bit of something contrasting in your dish, so if you think about if you poach chicken and shred it up, right? If you think about some, or just like a plain piece of unseasoned white fish, (laughs) something very, very simple. Think about that on your plate and putting that down next to some mashed potatoes and some creamed corn. Everything is almost the same color, right? It's all kind of the same color. Mm -hmm. It's all kind of the same texture. 
all the pieces might taste fine individually, but there's not a lot of contrast in the taste in the texture or in the temperature and temperature can be either physical temperature. So something is cold or something is hot or perceived. So something that's cooling like a mint or a yogurt sauce, um, or something like that. Right. So, Mm -hmm. or citrus can be a little bit cooling too, like a lime juice. So it can, and then spicy obviously would be something that has perceived heat, even if it's not actually hot. So just learning how to add a little bit of contrast or variety to either the taste in your meals, the texture. So that can be as simple as just adding something crunchy on top of something that might be mushy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not a great example, Um, but you know, something a little crunchy. Okay. Here's an example for that. Sauteed greens. Sauteed greens are great, but when you add a little bit of crispy bacon on top, hundred percent up leveled, right? So it just, and all (laughs) that is is a little bit of crispy bacon on top for those people who eat bacon, but that's just, that's just an easy example, right? So adding a little bit of contrast and a little bit of variety and just experimenting with that. So experimenting with adding more acid to dishes that feel a little bit flat. If you taste something and you're like, it needs a little bit of something, oftentimes it's acid, not salt. Oftentimes people are quick to salt things, but it oftentimes just needs a little bit of acid. So this is, this can be lemon juice. It can be lime juice, depending on what cuisine. So if you're using more of that, like Southeast Asian cuisine, lime juice is great. Mexican Spanish cuisine, lime juice is great. Um, Lemon juice works for a lot of different cuisines. You can add a little bit of lemon juice or even apple cider vinegar. Um, works as well. Oftentimes we end up over salting our food because salt is important. Salt brings out flavor, but we don't want our food to taste salty. We want it to enhance the flavor of our food. Mm-hmm. If we've already added the salt and it still feels like it needs a little something, try adding a little bit of acid. And then if it still feels like it needs salt, then you can add a little bit more salt. I'm not against salt at all. <laughs> Actually, we're, we're eating, we typically eat less salt when we're cooking from scratch and we're salting our own foods just to mm-hmm. enhance the flavor. Then when we're eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of people are afraid of adding salt um, because we know that a ton of salt, a ton of sodium isn't great for us which yeah. is true, but it that's coming from mostly processed foods uh, and not foods you process at home. We're talking about foods that you, <laughs> that you, that you're buying from the store. So, so eating, right. cooking more from scratch, adding that salt, um, is not a, it's not a huge deal, but it is going to add that flavor. So learning those foundations of flavor and just playing with that, right. Playing with mm-hmm. a little bit of variety, a little of texture, a little variety of flavor, a little variety of temperature. And in terms of flavor, remember that we have, um, there are five tastes, right? So we have sweet, sour, bitty, bitter, salty, and umami. So we want to have, we don't have to have little bits of all of those in every one of our dishes, mm-hmm. but more than one flavor. If something's sweet, then we might want to contrast that with something that is a little bit bitter or um, a little bit sour, I should say sour. Think of lemonade. Mm -hmm. The contrast to something super sweet is usually something sour. So just playing around with that and, and uh, just becoming, that will help you become more confident, understanding that there's just, just, and it doesn't have to be hard again. It's just adding a little, you know, experimenting. It won't always work, but you'll know what it does. You'll definitely know what it does. (laughs) That's great. Cause I mean, like I said before, I would not say I'm a great cook. I can make edible food. So I'm constantly doing that. It's missing something like, cause I'll just like add stuff until it tastes good to me. But lots of times uh, I'm like, it's missing something. And usually I add more salt, but so that is really, really interesting. That can I add another salt tip empty. too? Sure. Just cause now I'm super Please. excited and passionate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it comes to salting your food, you want to make sure that you are 
A, salting at the beginning and B, salting as you go. So you want every component of your dish to be seasoned. So sometimes this is salt, sometimes this is other seasonings, but if you're going to add meat to your dish, you want to season that separately. So when you add it to the pan, so say you're making some sort of a stew, when you add in the mirepoix, the carrot, celery, onion to start, do just a teeny tiny little bit of salt, especially if you're using, if you're not using a homemade broth and you're using a broth that has salt in it, definitely go easy. If you're using any ingredients that are briny or salty in and of themselves, like olives or feta cheese or something Mm -hmm. like that, then go bacon, go easy on the salt. But because again, you don't want it to be overly salty, but do a little bit of salt in the vegetables. That'll also help them to cook a little bit faster because it will draw some of that water Mm -hmm. out. Uh, If you want your vegetables crispy, don't put too much salt on them because that it'll draw the moisture out, Uh, but it'll help them cook a little bit fast, just a little bit faster. It's not a huge difference. Um, But then when you add your meat to the pan, you want to make sure that you are salting that itself. So you want each one of the components to be seasoned in and of themselves, and that'll help your dish to taste more well-rounded rather than it Mm. being like, you know, you have a bite of one thing and maybe the broth is seasoned, but the, the rest of the components aren't. That's the reason why you salt pasta water as well is because Mm -hmm. the pasta itself, yes, you're likely going to put a sauce on it, but the pasta itself doesn't have any salt in it. Pasta doesn't, isn't made with salt in it. Mm -hmm. So in order to actually season the pasta for a more well-rounded dish, because it's not soaking in the pasta sauce, if you soak your pasta in pasta sauce, it turns to mush. So it's not going to, it has no time for that sauce to infuse into, infuse the flavor into it. So it's just kind of like a baseline level. So when you add that little, that little bit of salt, actually a lot of salt to your pasta water, when you add that salt to your pasta water, your pasta is lightly seasoned. Same thing. If you're blanching vegetables, you do a little bit of salt in there. It'll lightly season your vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then your, your dishes will taste like they have more flavor. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I'm gonna have to have you come back on this (laughs) podcast and talk all about just making your food taste better. Cause that is so helpful. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That's so cool. Okay. So I know for me, there are some kitchen tools that I can't live without. So for you as a professional chef and a mother, what are some of your must-haves in your kitchen? Mm, Another question. I really like your questions are great. (laughs) Well, you touch on all the things I love to talk about. So I'm actually a huge advocate that you don't need a lot of tools and you definitely don't need a lot of fancy tools to be a good cook um, or to just cook in general. So I, like I mentioned, um, I have a very, I have a very tiny, I don't know if I mentioned this actually, I may or may not have, we talked earlier on my podcast. I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but I have a very tiny kitchen right now. We're actually in a temporary kitchen. We moved into a temporary place for what was supposed to be about six months and is now going to be a year. Um, but we moved into this little place because we're actually going to be relocating soon. And my kitchen has next to no counter space. I have a mm. kitchen card I added for a little bit more counter space. There's very little cupboard space and there is not even, there isn't even a pantry and I still make do and I work mm. out of this kitchen. Now I do film out of my parents' kitchen. So if you're ever in a cooking class with me, <laughs> I'm not at my house because then you're like, that doesn't look that small. Um, But I don't have a lot of kitchen tools and I don't think you need a lot of kitchen tools either. Mm -hmm. I think that you need a really good quality knife that feels good in your hand. Mm -hmm. You do not need to spend $500 on a chef's knife for a good chef's knife. You do need a good chef's knife though. You need something that's at least eight inches long, something that you can use for bigger tasks. So that's like your butternut squash, any of your winter squash, your potatoes, your watermelon, your pineapple, any Mm -hmm. of your big items, 
you need your knife to be able to stand up to the job. It's going to be safer and it's going to be easier. You want to keep that knife really sharp too. So there's a lot of different places that offer knife sharpening services. A lot of Whole Foods do, a lot of Williams-Sonoma's do. Um, There are a lot of little small local knife shops as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Or um, I shouldn't say knife shop. There might be knife shops, but um, like culinary, uh, what are they called? The culinary supply stores, look in your local area and they'll do knife sharpening. Usually they'll do it for five or $10 for a whole bunch of knives. So you do that every few months and keep your knives sharp. And then in between, you can use a little small knife sharpener. They're very inexpensive. You can buy them on Amazon keep your knife sharp. The sharper your knife is, the less likely you're going to cut yourself and the easier everyday tasks are going to be in the kitchen. So a good chef's knife. Um, I get asked a lot about knives. So the only other knives I recommend, I don't, I don't even have a whole, I don't have a knife block. I don't own one. Mm -hmm. Um, if you cook a lot of meat, a meat knife that you keep sharp and you only use for meat is very, very, very helpful. Um, because you can quickly, you can debone a chicken, you can slice a steak, Mm -hmm. you can, and you can use it for raw meat, or you can use it for uh, cooked meat. So that's really, really helpful. A serrated knife for bread and tomatoes. I know some chefs are anti-serrated knife for tomatoes, but it does make them squish less. Um, and, uh, (laughs) so a serrated knife, a meat knife, a chef's knife, a paring knife is good if you do small tasks, but if, with your knife, but if you're not using it for small tasks, then don't even, I, I even recommend a lot of people don't even have a paring knife because if that's what you're reaching for, you're mm-hmm. likely making things take way longer in the Let's kitchen if you're reaching that. for your paring yes. knife. So instead, <laughs> what I actually recommend is a utility knife or what I have is called a vegetable knife. It's by the brand Global. Um, and pretty inexpensive again for knives. I mean, they're about 60 to $80, but they they'll last you literally forever. Mm -hmm. If you keep them sharp, it's about five to six inches. And so it's not something you would use for a butternut squash, but it is something that you can use just for your everyday carrots, celery, things like that. Uh, and it's, they, they're very sharp in a good way. You want them to be sharp Mm -hmm. and they're a little bit smaller and lighter in your hands. They feel a little bit easier to use for everyday tasks than maybe like your big chef's knife. So, knives. You need about four. That's about, that's that's about it. You need three to four knives. That's all you need. So good quality knife, a sturdy cutting board. But again, there are really fancy cutting boards. You just want to make sure your cutting board is secure. Um, and by, and to do that, all you need to do is get either a paper towel or a tea towel and just dampen it, put it underneath your cutting board. So your cutting board doesn't move around when you're chopping, that'll make things easier. And again, safer. So any sort of sturdy cutting board, usually I recommend two, one, if you do use meat or fish just for food mm-hmm. safety purposes, and then, you know, a, gen- a, a bamboo one or a wooden one for your everyday tasks. Um, a couple other things that I think are absolute essentials are a microplane. Um, so microplane is a, it's a grater, a box grater is great to have too. If you do great vegetables, especially a box grater is really great to have. If you have a food processor, you can use that, um, instead of a grater as a, a box grater as well, but a microplane, there really is no substitute other than your knife. And if we're talking about busy moms, you need a microplane. They cost about $12. So they're generally pretty doable. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of, in terms of cost, there's the microplane brand, there's the OXO brand. You can get them on Amazon or, um, Bed Bath & Beyond places like that. And microplanes work for grating garlic, ginger, zesting, lemons, limes, oranges, whatever you might. And those are huge ways to add a ton of flavor to your meals um, in a really simple way. So you can also use them for nutmeg. So I recommend a microplane, uh, a Y peeler, 
So this is something, if you've ever been to one of my cooking classes, I'm very, very passionate about. And people make fun of me for it. Uh, I don't believe in carrot peelers. I don't think you should have a carrot peeler. <laughs> so uh, one of my odd jobs when I had just got out of culinary school, when I was starting my personal chef business was I worked in this really cool, this is where I learned about preserving uh, just a little bit. I worked in this really cool, it was a vegan soup company and they made uh, soups. They made these vegan soups and they were delicious and they made them with a ton of vegetables. And it wasn't in culinary school that I learned how to peel the right way and with the right peeler, it was at this job because we mm-hmm. would peel pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds of carrots and potatoes and sweet potatoes all day long. I would spend like six hours peeling. And so the Y peeler is one that literally looks, it looks like a Y and it has the peeler in between rather than the tiny carrot peeler that doesn't, they're typically tend to not be as sharp. Some of them are, but they're not as sharp and they don't cover as much surface area. The Y peeler is again, something really inexpensive. It's the only thing in my kitchen I replace regularly. I replace it about every three months three to four months, depending on how often you use it. If you cook with a lot of vegetables, you might replace it more, but the Mm -hmm. ones I get are about seven or $8 on Amazon. So about as often as you would get your knives professionally sharpened, just get yourself a new Y peeler. Um, so they're really inexpensive, but they, they do the job really well. Mm. So knives, cutting boards, microplane, Y peeler. Um, another thing that I do recommend that a lot of people don't have, but I think is a great thing to have in your kitchen is a cast iron skillet. Mm -hmm. So especially a well-seasoned cast iron skillet, a well-seasoned cast iron skillet, which you can season it yourself Mm -hmm. when you buy one, um, is essentially nonstick. Now I do have a small, um, it's like a ceramic nonstick that I use for eggs because it is kind of, I will Mm -hmm. cook uh, frittatas or an egg bake in my cast iron skillet, but for things like uh, over easy eggs, it's really hard in the cast iron, but uh, Mm -hmm. you can still use it for that if you want Mm -hmm. to. But if you want that really nice over easy egg, then I do have this small little ceramic nonstick, but the cast iron skillet, you can get a sear on your meat or your vegetables like nothing else. And Mm -hmm. the benefit to the cast iron skillet is that it goes in the oven as well. So anything you would start on the stove, you can put in the oven. So if you want your, again, if, you know, for, if we have meat eaters listening, if you want your meat juicy, start it on the stove, give it a really nice sear, dry it first. That's how you're going to get a nice sear, dry it, salt it. Um, and, uh, then put it not like with a hair dryer, just with a paper towel, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, sear it and then finish it in the oven whether it's a steak or it's a piece of chicken, whatever type of chicken, uh, or pork, pork loin, something like that. It's going to, it's going to taste better. I promise more of those little tips, but the cast iron skillet, it really gives a sear like none other. You can put it in the oven and again, they'll last you forever. I believe in kitchen items that are going to last you forever. And I think the last one, um, I would mention is a Dutch oven. Um, so a lot of people think of, uh, they think of, camping when they think of Dutch ovens, which you can, you can bring a Dutch, you can bring a Dutch oven camping. Mine's enameled. I wouldn't put it over a fire. Yeah. Um, but a Dutch oven is great because you can use it for everything from soups and stews. You can cook pasta in it. If you want to cook pasta, you can yeah. cook grains in it and you can also cook bread in it. So again, similar to the cast iron skillet, then you can actually, you can put it directly in the oven. So mm-hmm. it is a little bit more of an investment. They do tend to be a little bit pricier, but you can still get a medium sized one for about $50 on Amazon. And again, it'll last you forever if you take care of it. So I think those are kind of my, my go-tos. I really think, I think as someone who cooks mostly from scratch, I do think a blender and a food processor are really, really helpful to have. I know those aren't always in people's, um, you know, price range. If you can't do a blender, then just an immersion blender 
if you can't do like a high speed blender, an immersion blender is great for pureed soups and things like that. Um, I make smoothies every day. So my blender is, I literally use it every single day. Um, but I do think those are really helpful to have if you can swing them as well. But I think those are my basics. Those are my essentials. Those are the things I use every, if not every single day, every single week. So yeah. Oh, that's a great list. And I do, I'm guilty. I use a carrot peeler. So I'm going to be grabbing a Y peeler. Go grab a Y peeler. It'll change your life and peel away from you always. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, okay. So tell me a little bit about the cooking classes. Can we find them on your blog, on your website or? Yeah, absolutely. So I teach cooking classes about twice a month now. So I have a cooking club membership. It opens once a year, so it won't open again until September. Um, so I teach one class for them once a month, and then I teach a public class once a month as well. And I oftentimes share those over on my Instagram, um, but you can find a link to them on my website. Um, they're all on Zoom, so you can come and join. And they're all recorded because I know a lot of us are busy moms and we like the idea of being able to be live at something, but oftentimes we can't. So I never expect people to be live. If you want to learn how to cook and you want to try out one of the recipes and you're not able to be live, you can also join, um, you can also join afterwards as well. So Mm -hmm. I have, I have at least, so I started doing these last September regularly. I used to teach in person, like I mentioned. So I started Mm -hmm. doing them last September. So we have at least 15 classes. And I also do meal prep classes once a season as well, where I take you through an entire meal prep session where we prep mostly ingredients, like I mentioned, and then we'll also prep a breakfast and a lunch and a snack item as well. So you're kind of set for the week. So, um, the, yeah, that's the healthy balance cooking club and my cooking classes you can find over at healthymamachris.com or on my Instagram, which is healthymamachris as well. Okay. And you have a podcast. I do. Yes. It's the healthy balance mama podcast. All right. So the healthy balance mama podcast, um, is my podcast. Now you can find it uh, anywhere. You get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, all of those places, but it's actually going to be turning into the healthy mama kitchen podcast very soon. Okay. So we're going to be talking, we're going to be focusing even more on cooking and food in the next couple of months. So whenever you're listening to this, whether you're listening to this in the next couple of weeks, it'll still be the healthy balance mama podcast for another well, as of now, six weeks, um, but it'll be turning into the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast in the summertime. So, oh, that's cool. All right. Well, it's been really great, and there's been so many. So I feel fun. like I got I got uh, like a, kid, a cooking lesson, like a in depth cooking lesson in this oh, podcast. Good. So, thank you so much. <laughs> that's it. I'm I'm so glad that you had me on. I appreciate it so much, and I love talking about all of this. So, I hope whoever's listening got some got some good cooking tips, and will hopefully feel more confident in the kitchen. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I have a brand new guide out that is just perfect for this time of year. The Ultimate Fruit and Vegetable Seasonal Guide is now available and you can grab it for free at www.savemyveggies.com. If you are like me, you have thrown away produce that you just never got a chance to use. I used to do this all the time. Especially this time of year as my harvest starts coming in, it can be difficult to properly store everything and make sure I either preserve it in time or use it up. That's why I created this guide. This guide has everything you need to stop wasting fruits and vegetables that you either grow yourself or purchase at the store. Learn how to properly store 25 plus fruits and vegetables to help them stay fresher longer. 
This guide also includes a month-by-month -month seasonal timeline so you know when to stock up on inexpensive and high-quality fruits and vegetables to save you time and money. Again, you can grab that free guide at www.savemyveggies.com. As always, if you have any questions, want gardening advice, or have a topic suggestion for the podcast, please email me at info at wingingitonthehomestead.com.